It's Justin Dawson with a fly flying around my studio that I can't get rid of. Um, time to talk tech and audiovisual. It's time for another episode of All Things Techie Podcast, where we're talking about Twitter, Facebook, Elon Musk, and a lot more. Uh, Greg Jeffries, of course, joining us um, in an interview. It can only get better as I try and get rid of this fly flying around my in front of my microphone. It's the All Things Techie Podcast, episode 75. Here's the show that loves to talk about gadgets and gizmos, from A-Logic to Yamaha. Cameras to control panels. You get what I mean. We love talking all things techie. In fact, that's the name of the show. And here is your host, Justin Dawson. It's Wednesday, the 26th of April, 2023. Whether you're watching on YouTube and are distracted by this fly that's flying around my studio, or you're listening online... Um, or and have downloaded this podcast from Spotify, from any of the places you like to get your podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in to the All Things Techie podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with the program, you can do so by visiting the website, which is coming, a, a new website design, www.allthingstech.ie. You can also tweet me at Justin or Dawson directly, or at AV Tech Junkies, and we're going to have loads of new ways to contact the program. Send us audio messages and uh, how to get involved with sponsorship opportunities and much more available on our new website, which is coming very, very soon. Uh, hopefully next week or so, just after the May Bank holiday weekend. Uh, you can find out more details at www.allthingstech.ie. We have a great show lined up. Uh, special interview with Greg Jeffries, um, talking about standards, talking about MS Team rooms and getting things into the right shape. And we, I think the quote uh, from that I can hold Greg Jeffries to as well is that AV professionals like us, we fix the mistakes that engineers make in designing crazy shapes of rooms. <laughs> You'll hear Greg talking about that later on in the program. Now, what a week it's been. Oh my goodness, what's what's been happening in the world of tech? Uh, well, WhatsApp and other messaging apps oppose surveillance. When Ireland gets a cold, Ireland gets the flu. Like, we get it a hundred times worse is really the metaphor of 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 that uh, well whatsapp signal and other messaging services have urged the government to rethink the online safety bill the osb uh, this is over in england they are concerned that the bill could undermine end-to-end encryption which means the message can only be read on the sender of the and the recipient's app and nowhere else ministers want to the regulator to be able to ask the platforms to monitor users to root out child abuse images the government says it is possible to have both privacy and child safety. We support strong encryption, a government official said. This is the UK government. But we cannot come at a cost of public safety. Tech companies have a moral duty to ensure that they're not blinding themselves and law enforcement to the unpredicted levels of child sexual abuse on their platforms. The online safety bill in no way represents a ban on end-to-end encryption, nor will it require services to weaken encryption. End-to-end encryption E2EE provides the most robust level of security because nobody other than the sender and the intended recipient can read the message information. And uh, this has come up before, uh, listeners. Like, there was times where there was 
uh, legal cases where people were, have been trying to get into Apple iPhones and iPhones that are encrypted and Apple just goes, can't get in. Um, uh, or I, I think that's also happened on Apple laptops before. Or in, encrypted devices, like the, the manufacturers go, it's encrypted, we can't get into it. Um, even the operator of the app cannot unscramble messages as they pass across its systems as they they can be decrypted only by the people in the chat in an open letter published on tuesday the operators of encrypted messaging apps warn weakening encryption undermining privacy and introducing the mass surveillance of people's private communications is not the way forward it is signed by and listen to this element chief executive matthew hodgson oxen privacy tech foundation and session director alex linton Signal President Meredith Whittaker, uh, Tarima Chief Executive Martin Blatter, Viber uh, got involved, Viber Chief Executive Offer AL, uh, Head of WhatsApp at Meta Will Katzkart, and Wire Chief Technical Officer Alan Jurek. In its current form, the OSB opens the door to routine, general and indiscriminate surveillance of personal messages, the letter says. The bill risks emboldening hostile governments who may seek to draft copycat laws. And while the UK government say technological ways can be found to scan messages without undermining the privacy of E2E, the truth is that it is not possible. Mr Hodgson of the UK company Element called on the proposals a spectacular violation of privacy equivalent to putting a CCTV camera in everyone's bedroom. Wow. Well, when you think about it, and I've discussed on other podcasts lately, you know, like a mobile phone that we have, it's a video recorder, it's a streamer, and if you break down the end-to-end encryption, Anyone could hack into your mobile phone. Anyways, that's sort of going off on another tangent. Um, the online safety bill will create a honeypot of unencrypted material. Mr. Cathcart uh, told uh, BBC News WhatsApp could rather be blocked in the UK than weaken the privacy of encrypted messaging. Would they actually go that far if, you know, a tech company like WhatsApp and Meta said, no, we're, we're going to still encrypt our our data that's going messages to messages. What do UK government go as far as banning the use of WhatsApp? Well, you know, they, they talk about whether governments should pull away from Twitter with Elon Musk. They're talking about, um, you know, the use of TikTok, which we'll get to shortly in the, in the program as well. Uh, let us know what your your thoughts of on this encryption bill and privacy bill. It's going on across in the UK. We're going to put the details up in our show notes of episode 75 of All Things Techie. There's the fly again. If you're watching on YouTube, I can't get rid of this fly. The windows open up in my studio and this fly just keeps on flying around. <laughs> if you'd like to comment on this bill going on over in England... Please let us know. Comes at allthingstech.ie. You can visit our website www.allthingstech.ie, or you can tweet or leave comments on YouTube as well. If you're watching our podcast, we also do YouTube Shorts Shorts as well. I have to slow down. YouTube Shorts. That's not easy to say. Um, that is also on our YouTube channel, and uh, you can comment underneath that and let us know what you think of this. Uh, online safety bill and the future 
of it. It's going to be interesting. Watch this space. Facebook, $725 million settlement fund opens to U.S. claims. U.S. Facebook users can now apply for their share of $725 million or £583 million in the privacy case settlement. The legal action alleged that social media companies shared 87 million users' data without their consent via third parties such as Cambridge Analytica. The allegation dating back to 2018 remains one of the high-profile data privacy scandals. Meta, which owns uh, Facebook, has denied any wrongdoing but agreed to the settlement. So, listeners... (laughs) <laughs> who can claim this wealth of money? Anyone who used Facebook in the US between the 24th of May 2007 to the 22nd of December 2022 can claim in the range of 250 to 280 million people, according to the ruling document. So once again, if you were in the use Facebook while over in the States between the 24th of May 2007 to the 22nd of December 2022, which is quite a large date, you can uh, you can try and go for a claim. How can they claim? Claims can be filled in on a settlement website. We'll add this on the show notes as well. Or by mail, including name, address, date of birth, Facebook handle, contact details, payment information. Claimants can choose to receive their funds being direct deposit, PayPal, Zeal, Venmo and a prepaid mask the card now question is listeners how much will you receive claimants who qualify will be awarded one point for each month they had a facebook account during the class period the net settlement amount 725 million minus legal and administrative costs will be divided by the total number of points to determine how much money will be paid for each now that re- like you're talking about 2007 to uh sorry what 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 was those dates 2007 to 2022 which is over 15 years worth of material and how many people will jump on the bandwagon to see if they were a facebook user during that time there's that fly again if you're watching on youtube the fly flying around behind me and really like thankfully i have a great sure mic there that um, i'm not hearing the fly but it's bit distracting uh, while, I'm, while I'm reading my my scripts here uh, in studio. <laughs> so 13, sorry, 15 years of Facebook accounts over in the US and a lot of people will go, I want some of that money of, of that uh, in the range of 250 to 280 million people that could claim. I say people will come out with a dollar a piece. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I love to see how many people actually jump on this bandwagon and, and claim. Um, a federal judge gave the agreement of a preliminary approval by the end of March, but the final approval hearing is set for the 7th um, of September, where there may be appeals that delay the process further. How will it affect Meta? Well, Meta has lost so many jobs, as has a lot of other tech companies' listeners. Uh, technology author James Bell of the BBC News said that Meta executives would be relatively pleased with this settlement. On one level, $725 million is a huge amount of cash, but Meta has such a large company that this figure represents less than three days of its revenue. Three days of its revenue is $725 million. It's less than... Sorry, three days revenue, it's more than $725 
million dollars to Meta. Wow, 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 wow. More uh, nicer stories, I think, now after talking about Meta there. The wedding tech now at the heart of couples' nuptials, nuptials uh, for weddings. Uh, instead of traditional gold bands, Czech couple Dewey and Andrej Vedral exchange smart rings on their wedding day. Smart rings are wearable electronic devices which function similar to smartwatches. They typically allow the user to monitor their his or her heartbeat and make contactless payment. It's a gra- fast-growing tech sector reported to be seeing a global sales rise by 21% a year. Uh, so these two got smart rings, however designed to be more romantic than most, they allowed them to see and feel each other's heartbeat. Hmm, interesting. Each ring is connected by Bluetooth to an app on the wearer's smartphone, and by the app the two rings can be linked together. So every time Jury presses his wedding ring, it both physically pulses with Andre's heartbeat and displays the heartbeat as a moving red line, and the same in reverse. Really? <laughs> you, would you, like, yeah, it's an interesting idea. Um, maybe if you're away from your partner for a long time, during work, you press a ring, your partner can feel your heartbeat, similar to, like, Lying beside your partner and listening to their heartbeat. An interesting idea. The rechargeable ring called the HB ring is made by Czech firm The Touch. Although the first iteration went on a limited sale back in 2016, the company is now seeing an increase in global interest thanks to the wider surge of smart ring sector. In addition, the business has this year launched a new parallel product, the Touch Locket, to be worn on a necklace this has the same technology as the smart rings. Its target customers include engaged custom couples who might like the idea of being able to feel their loved one's heartbeat. Would you get one of these? Let us know. Allthingstech.ie is our website. Um, you can also tweet me. The details are on the screen now. That fly seems to have finally disappeared. Uh, that was buzzing around my head. And uh, you can also tweet me. Uh, you can also use the hashtag as well. Uh, hashtag allthingstech.ie This is a story that's not going to go away anytime soon. Intel let Google Cloud hack its new secure chips and found 10 bugs. Google Cloud and Intel released results today from a nine-month audit of Intel's new hardware security product, Trust Domain Extensions, or TDX. The analysts uh, revealed 10 confirmed vulnerabilities, including two that researchers at both companies flagged as significant, as well as five findings that led to proactive changes to further harden TDX's defences. The review and fixes were all completed before the production of the Intel's fourth generation Intel Xeon uh, processors known as Sapphire Rapids, which incorporate TDX. Now, Google has also... Uh, released uh, dated the 15th of April, so about a week ago. Uh, Google released its urgent Chrome update to fix actively exploited zero-day vulnerability. Google on Friday released, uh, well, Friday last week, released an out-of-band update to resolve an actively exploited zero-day flaw in its Chrome web browser, making the first such bug to be addressed since the start of the year. Tracked as CVE 2023 
2033, the high severity vulnerability has been described as a type confusion issue in the V8 JavaScript engine. Clement, uh, type confusion in V8's Google Chrome prior to uh, allowed remote attacker to potentially exploit heap corruption via a crafted HTML page. Um, and then ghost to token or zero day vulnerability in Google Cloud as elaborated in a recent pro from Asterisk Security, the ghost token zero day vulnerability could allow infecting the target Google Cloud with malicious apps. Specifically, the floor affected Google account application management page, the option allowing users to review the apps in use. An adversary could connect malicious apps to the account and hide them permanently from the user. As a result, the respective Google account user could never know the presence of the malicious app, inadvertently continuing to use the infected account. Or the affected account, right, rather. Um, briefly, the floor existed due to how the app connects to Google account via token. Um, so they've done the updates, and uh, just to be aware of that, that you should also make sure that your Google Chrome is up to date. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode. All Things Techie Podcast. Now... AI, 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 AI. Before we get into our conversation with Greg Jeffries, uh, we're talking about AI again. And AI speed cameras capable of detecting phone and seatbelt use considered by the Irish police force on Garda Corner. The new technology may form part of a 100 million euro system operated by a private company. What do you think of this? So you could be driving, you could be using a mobile phone, which is illegal and you're not supposed to do that. Um, Hands-free maybe you get away with that but don't be putting a phone to your ear or looking down at your phone on guard the corner or the irish police force is examining a, a new speed camera technology which will be capable of detecting drivers who are not wearing seat belts or using mobile phones while driving the technology will form part of a planned 100 million euro spend on the new traffic monitoring systems which will be installed maintained and operated by a private company if the relevant legislation is passed by the Oireachtas or our Irish government, the new cameras will also be capable of detecting if the drivers are using bus lanes illegally or breaking traffic lights. The new system will be replaced by a current contract Gardaí have with the private provider GoSafe, which operates 1,400 safety camera zones across the country. Currently, the cameras are only capable of monitoring if drivers are obeying the speed limit. As well as watching for seatbelt and mobile phone use, the new camera network may be expanded to enforce the speed limit by monitoring the time it takes a vehicle to travel a certain distance. And that's already used in the Dublin Port Tunnel here in Dublin. Um, a similar system used by Dublin's Port Tunnel, as I just mentioned. Uh, it means drivers can be so caught speeding even if they obey the speed limit as they pass the camera. Details of... The Garda requirements or the police requirements are contained in tendering documents published over the weekend. The Garda said it is seeking market information on the possibility of using private service for the provision, installation, commissioning, maintenance and operation of safety cameras for the monitoring of vehicle speeds. The proposed services may be expanded in the future subject to legislative changes to include but not limit to the following no seatbelt 
detection, the use of mobile phones, average variable speed detection and the compliance with traffic lights and bus lane usage. The Guardi said they are seeking to learn about opportunities for emerging technologies and innovation. I am so eager to know, like, how it would read a moving vehicle travelling towards a camera positioned and it can judge in that couple of seconds whether a driver is wearing a seatbelt or using the mobile phone. That's incredible. <laughs> you know, I, I love to actually see one of these physically in action. Seatbelt and mobile phone detection systems use two cameras, one to photograph the license plate and the other that photographs the driver. It uses artificial intelligence to analyse the images and determine if the driver is using a device or failing to wear their belt. If the, a potential offence is detected, the image is usually verified by human before fixed charge penalty notice is sent out. The technology is already being rolled out by several police forces in the UK and Australia. Once again, if UK do something like a small cold, Ireland dies. So we're copying the UK and Australia on, on these. In Ireland, drivers caught by Gardaí without a seatbelt will automatically receive an €120 Euro fine. Use of mobile phone while driving attracts a €120 Euro fine and three penalty points. Let us know what you think. AI doing all this work. Um, it's already rolled out in some parts of the UK and in Australia. Um, love to get some thoughts from our international audience of what they think of this. Contact us at uh, allthingstech.ie. You can tweet me below all the details at Justin or Dawson if you're listening um, to the podcast. Or you can tweet um, at AV Tech Junkies for the show notes as well. Now, also, have a look at this. Um, would you let an AI robot to uh, to do your dentistry? I was on an AV Nations podcast only last week, and I had just got some dentistry done, and the dentist really scrubbed my teeth and filed my teeth quite sore, and it was sensitive. Would you like a robot going in with the drill and AI doing it, going, oh, that teeth is, tooth is needs a filling i'll just uh stick in the needle in in this guy's uh or girl's tooth and and fix it or would you like the human touch i i personally would like the human touch to go whoa whoa, whoa where are you going with that and how does this robot or ai know that you've opened your mouth wide enough to uh to get a filling or know that it's doing the right tooth and you haven't moved your head that's scary i i, I wouldn't like that uh, so, National Cybersecurity Centre tells government departments, Irish government departments, to avoid TikTok on official devices. Several countries have banned the public sector employees from using the app on work devices in recent months. Government departments are advising not to use TikTok on official devices over cybersecurity concerns. Ireland's National Cybersecurity Centre, the NCSC, has state, a state agency responsible for advising the government on cybersecurity threats, issued guidance to the departments today against the using the app on official devices. However, the NCSC, or the National Cybersecurity Centre, is not advocating for an all-out ban of TikTok. Speaking to the media, the director of the NCSC, Richard Brown, said, we are not saying the application can't be used on other individual 
by other individuals or shouldn't be used by politicians outside of official devices. There's no reason on earth why private individuals or politicians on their personal devices can't use this. That's not the risk we are talking about here. The risk is here is to public data held on publicly owned devices. So uh, if you're in the public sector. Several other countries have taken the decision and reached much to ban public sector employees from installing the video sharing app, which is owned by Chinese company ByteDance. Our Prime Minister, or Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, confirmed last month that the government had sought advice from the NCSC after the UK announced a ban on the app on official devices. Whether the government was considering a similar move to the UK, uh, Varadkar, our Taoiseach or Prime Minister said at the time as things stands we're not advising anybody with the public sector or government to remove TikTok from their work phones but are still under review the NCSC has since conducted technical assessment according to a government spokesperson its advice is that TikTok should not be installed or used on official public sector devices except for exceptional cases where there is considered to be a business need the European Commission and governments in France, Netherlands the UK and the United States, Canada and New Zealand have told officials not to use the app on work devices. Do you still use TikTok? Let us know. Um, I personally never got into the whole TikTok craze. Um, I have enough social media accounts going on. Um, but if you use TikTok, why do you use TikTok? Let us know. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. All Things Techie Podcast. Don't forget any of the news stories that we have covered in the past 10 to 15 minutes. You can find out on our show notes at www.allthingstech.ie or if you uh, go to our podcast page, um, you can click on the actual episode and it will give the show notes there. And if you have any questions, you can get in contact with us at comments at allthingstech.ie. Um, and our new website design is going to be unveiled in the next week or so. So stay tuned for that. Now, earlier in the week, I caught up with Greg Jeffries. Next week, I am going to the Learning Teaching Space Management Group um, over um, in Lockburg University, just outside Nottingham. Really looking forward to it, where higher ed uh, professionals from the UK, Ireland and Malta uh, talk tech and audiovisual for a couple of days with a load of sponsors and uh, boots to find out about the latest tech and uh, that we might I personally probably didn't see fully while I was running around at Integrated Systems Europe in Barcelona uh, back in February so I will be bringing over the microphone doing a couple of reports but there's one guy that I really wanted to catch up with for a while and put him under the spotlight talk about projection talking about distance shows discus isker uh, standards and how he got involved in audiovisual it's greg jeffries talking to me under the spotlight for all things techie well it's the all things techie podcast i have a great one here we're joined with greg jeffries from visual displays a guy that i actually have admired for a long time with his background in av and also visual displays and also the standards that he's come out with and he every time he, he gets on stage you surprise me with new stuff greg like <laughs> and and your webinars i've been a fan of your webinars for several years now even especially through the COVID pandemic when you were doing a lot of more you had a lot more time to do webinars i think greg. yeah no shit yeah we we really did but anyway you must get out more often justin <laughs> 
I like that. As well. No, Greg is a great guy. Greg, where did it all start off for you with audiovisual? Well, uh, I have that uh, time-honoured traditional way of coming into the AV industry, namely by being a failed musician. I uh, studied music at Dartington College of Arts, uh, sometimes in the dark ages. And about halfway through that course, I got uh, invited to join uh, a band in London. And it was just basically downhill all the way from there. Um, and um, I was in bands for uh, for a couple of years. And uh, and then I kind of got into a relationship where I was expected to like do unreasonable stuff like pay the rent um so i had to get um we learned I, that bands don't pay money yes yeah, funny <laughs> that isn't it it all seems to get it all seems to work it all seemed to go into keeping the van alive and, and stuff like that so anyway i had to get a job and i got a job um delivering and installing uh exhibition equipment um and they 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 started a little av company little av division um, using slide projectors, but making back projection, and and really, it all started. Can we have to explain also, to our listeners that... what a slide projector is. Oh yeah, what did you do in the war, Granddad? <laughs> um, so before the days of video projectors, um, we used to use thirty-five mil transparencies uh, in projectors, and uh, we used to do incredible things with them. Uh, that's you know, I was obviously very, very young at the time, but uh, used to do motion and all kinds of clever things with them, soft edge masking. Um, it was a whole art. Uh, some some of the um, some of the art and craft um, and image quality has actually, uh, you know, you lose that uh, when you when you switch from um, analog to, to digital. Obviously, overall, you would you wouldn't go back to it, but um, it was a great grounding and also gave me because of I have a passionate interest in photography, light and lighting. Um, it kind of helped to join the dots up for me. So that was that was kind of my my entry into AV and also into my my specialism in in projection. Yeah. So you went you went from there. Did you did you work for any projection companies afterwards or did you just set up on your own business? Um. I I set up on my own um, for a uh, a couple of years, and I just had a business installing uh, exhibitions. But then I went back to that company with the only paid day job I ever had, um, and and part of my job was to run that little AV division. Um, but I mean that was a pretty horrid uh, experience for for me, just having um, a not very nice boss. So I. Um, I basically quit, but I took, uh, I made a deal to take the, um, the product with me and that's how I kind of got started. So my, from, from a business point of view, I got started by making rear projection, um, systems and, and cabinets. And, um, and then as the, as video projectors, uh, came out, well, I mean, by, by then we were doing a lot with video with CRT projectors, mm -hmm. um, and paradoxically, when when we moved to sort of the single lens um, digital projectors of, of the sort that we we have now, or early versions of it, it was actually much more much more difficult because there's a whole bunch of adjustment in CRT projection that you don't get, you know, with geometry and so forth. So, you know, the um, you know each it's always two steps forward and one step backwards. But it was, um, uh, yeah most of my most of my career really has been based around that skill is learning how to make 
um, advanced projection systems using different types of projectors, multiple projectors, and and so forth. But it all came out of that. You you've seen then a whole lifeline of projectors from the simple bulbs, the CRTs, as you say, to to the digital age of projections, and even going a step further with visual displays, it's now turning into like we don't need a projector in this room. Well, you're go you're going to go give me a slap on the wrist. Go no, just it depends what type of room you're in. But it's getting more to the stage of going. Well, LED walls are becoming so much more thinner, more brightening brightness, more lumens on on these that you know. Some people go A or B. It's going to be whether it's going to be a projector or whether it's going to be a big LED wall or or several screens placed side by side. Um, so, so here comes your slap on the wrist, as seeing yes. as you seeing as you asked for it. Um, <laughs> I mean, f first of all, it's horses for courses, but I think you'll be surprised this year um, to see how much uh, projection is is making a comeback. I mean, basically, you have the um the fact that um projectors are now effectively or the kind of projectors that you would use are effectively maintenance free um they can be they can sit on the network and you can manage and monitor them in the same way that you can manage a huge estate of um of flat panel displays um now the thing is is that for serious pedagogical um requirements you do not want a bright screen uh, mm -hmm. what you want is a display that you can you can look at all day um, and paradoxically, that's about the black levels in the in the image. So um, the um, projection for pedagogy is so long as it's done properly using um, ambient light rejecting materials, uh, projection done properly is actually the best solution. But the thing that um, that that really is coming in um, with a bang at the moment is thinking about the 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 environmental aspects of this. Um, the costs of running uh, a projected display relative to a large video wall is um, uh, is is a fraction of of the cost. And the thing is, is that it's very nice to have a DV LED screen, you know, on a cold morning because you go in there and you can warm your hands in front of it. But I mean, that's um, that's a lot of wasted power and energy. Yeah. Um, so so on, on there's several things to that you're bringing up there. There's the the energy saving. There's the 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 black in the in the image. So you're you're sort of ask, answering a question that I brought up in on a podcast previously, Greg, and I asked like, when will cinemas turn into just having a big LED wall for cinema screen? And you're probably going to say never. Um, I don't I don't see that that I don't see that there's any um any need for it now. Um, that the the the, the you know, cinema is a kind of it's a sensory experience, and um, the that whole thing about going into a darkened space and um, and having that kind of experience. I don't, I don't, I don't see the 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 need for it there. I mean, um, it was interesting at ISC because um, you know the 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 LED the the direct view LED the DV LED industry is is actually very aware of the. Um, of these issues about the the energy use and so forth, although there are wider issues as well. And so they were they were previewing um, early versions of so-called cold technologies, which 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 use less power. So I think 
that there's a bright, rosy future for uh, DVLED. But for the moment, as far as uh, higher ed and, and, um, and further ed is concerned, the displays are too bright. Mm. The, ref the reference here, I mean, if you think about, you know, if you, if you wanted to be able to focus on something and read it, uh, engage with it all day without creating eye strain, that, that uh, benchmark would be the printed page. Uh, and the point about the printed page is it's very it's low luminance but really good contrast and very good black levels, and that and that's the very often um, eye strain. Um, the fancy word for that is asthenopia. But you know our eyes are mechanical devices. The the uh, the we the the ciliary muscles have to expand and contract our, our irises. And if you're looking around a space. And your eyes are having to adjust up and down all the time. Well, that 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 actually creates eye strain. You don't, uh, you know, the the thing with um, with large format displays with uh, direct view LEDs is th these these are signage displays. These are fantastic signage displays, but they weren't originally designed for for pedagogy or you know teams rooms or anything where um, you know where serious content is to be watched for for extended time. Um, you know, their day, their day will come, but it's 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 horses for courses. Well, this is true. Like, you, for many cases in in higher ed, you could be sitting for two hours in a lecture theatre watching a death by PowerPoint. Yes, we know. Uh, but you you could be watching a screen like that for two hours. So that yeah. is going to be a strain on the eye. So yeah, and I guess similar if that was put into a cinema environment that it it would be too too high of a brightness for your eyes and it would create some eye strain um maybe maybe in in the outdoor context is where you will see these video walls being created better for concerts and so forth but as as for projection you you're, you're still going to have projection in the likes of large lecture theaters and also in 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 cinema environments yeah, for, for for sure. Um, I think uh, the the point about these signage technologies is that they are bright, and 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 so one of the things that when they're used in signage in shopping malls or wh wherever it is, it's the bright it's the brightness that that leads your eye to it. But the 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 real key thing there is that um, the dwell time, the time you spend looking at that screen, is a completely up to you, um, because if it's a a crap advert you just look away from it um and um and typically the the content length is is very short these are adverts of 5 10 15 20 seconds or something so the content's very short so in the context of uh, of pedagogy in a teaching environment where the, these poor uh, students have got to sit there and listening to some deathless lecture for <laughs> for a couple of hours um uh you know they 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 they're trapped and um you know, so so those sorts of things are, you know, a, about making the, the right sensory uh, experience for, for users is actually really critically important. Mm. Now, I, I think you've, you've addressed that, like uh, with the LED walls and, you know, even digital signage, like, you, yeah, there is times where you go into the likes of a train station. I've been in, in, in train stations before and the actual digital signage is so bright that it's on an LED wall that you you actually miss the message that yeah. was being displayed because yeah. of the eyesore. Yeah. Um, yeah. With visual displays, do you like? I know maybe 
you've, you've, you're attending LTSMG next week. Yes, we better plug that. We'll come back to LTSMG in a couple of minutes' time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you do a lot with higher ed, but that's not your your only primary focus. Do you do you deal with the, the the likes of standards with the likes of train stations, digital signage, roads? Um, no, the. I mean that that actually is a great is a great question because it kind of begs the question well what exactly do you mean by a standard and then and then you drill down onto onto their application in reality in in a Vixer, for the most part the standards that we have really apply to the so-called pro AV uh, market and applications so that would that includes higher ed it could include corporate you know government and and and, and so forth um and that's the that's the kind of um, the, the the scale the scale of our our ambition there. Um, I think um, you know within Avixa we've got uh, content best practices that deal with live events um, and you know and other other applications too. But for that kind of thing, no, um, it's um, that that there's a there's there's a sep there's a whole separate universe of digital signage and and trade associations and they do they do a great job um you know one of my uh, friends and mentors in standards um Al alan braun and his son jonathan um you know they they were involved in the early days of evix standards with me but they've moved on they consult for samsung and they're involved with writing standards for those kinds of things so it's a kind of a specialist area i'm 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 in my i'm in my comfort zone um with uh, with, with higher ed um at the moment you know in terms of my my consulting business and um and visual displays um you know really most of it is involved with with corporate whole bunch of stuff going on now around um the microsoft teams rooms thing mm. but really you know looking to the future um higher ed is my um is very much my my comfort area it's the culture that i like to to work within and so i'm i'm looking to i'm looking to 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 do more within higher ed than than anything else that and that's for sure well, you, you you address Microsoft Teams, and we we will address that uh, end of things in a couple of moments' time. But going going to the the standards and 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 higher ed, and just a, a final question on that end of things is, um, we 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 were discussing a bit of this offline that um, you know, people are more aware of the sensory aspects, um, in higher ed environments with people with intellectual needs and intellectual disabilities. You talk about the fact of, I know on one stage you go autistic people and sound, but like even the sound and the visuals, like I was talking with Chuck um, about a, oh, it's nearly a month ago now. And he goes, do you know there's an American standard for how bright a room should be? And I said, all oh, right, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that why isn't there something like that on an international scale um for for lighting in some of these rooms because you know i i think we've all been in lecture theaters where you just go my god that projector is completely drained out because who ever thought of putting yeah. six yeah. spotlights right in front of the projection yeah. screen you know yeah. um and then yeah. you have no way to control it and then you go not only is could it be affecting an autistic person it's too bright for the actual lecturer that's standing yeah. up in front of the room yeah well i mean in fact um there are lighting standards, uh, there international international lighting standards. 
and um you know and you know the, the the whole thing about lighting research and the human response to to light i mean that's this is uh, more than a century old of, of 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 science there and what what is actually quite you know reassuring is that the um the american um uh they've got the illuminating engineering society the ies we've got um sibsi over here um um industry building services engineers chartered uh, institute of building service engineers and the subset of that is the Society for Light and Lighting, which is one of my my professional associations. And and what you'll see is basically, although you know the Americans will talk in terms of foot candles and foot lamberts, and we use SI units over here like lux lumens and candela per square meter, um, basically that they, they are aligned. But the, the the really interesting thing to see with that is that um, there is this relatively new building standard called Well. Um, and now there's a version two of that. And what that what well does is to take all of the various environmental standards and, and pull them into one into one pot. And the thing that I particularly love about well is that it actually stitches into the Avixa standards, because, you know, if you think about image quality, that is a um, that's a metric of of uh, of contrast and so what you're doing there is you're talking about a relative level but not an absolute level mm -hmm. and if you tie that in with the metrics that we use to get the brightnesses the luminances within the room within a certain range to avoid eye strain those two things knit together so what you find is that by using um, environmental and av standards and lighting standards uh, intelligently you you can make a proper cohesive whole and take and then take this um properly um and structured holistic approach to to the to the to the design of a, of a teaching space or a meeting space now i i am going to ask you a really awkward question here and you uh -oh. go no, i can't uh -oh. I, I can't answer that question how often as a consultant do you get both with higher ed and further field with other companies where you come in, you're hired as a consultant, you give the spec and go, this is what will work in the room. Do you, do you stay with the company to the very end? Because I, I see this a lot in Ireland and I don't mean just my university, but I see it across a lot of universities. I think it's a hot topic that happens with universities that are attached to LTSMG as well, where a consultant is hired, then it goes off to tender, and when they think they're getting the oak tree, they're actually getting the apple tree. You know, um, so like, how often do you see that you've specced out a room, you've done it to standards, you've given the measurements, you're saying that, like, we, I, I, I'll overlay on on the YouTube video of this podcast some of the designs that you've done with visual displays, but then you know sometimes you know, it's totally off your, your design purpose, or do you, do you experience that really? Well, as you know, I'm a complete diplomat, so I'm going to be very careful about what I say. I mean, I'm not, a, the thing, the important thing to say here, Justin, is I'm not an AV consultant. I'm a specialist consultant. So I don't, I don't do like a room specification, like an AV consultant would. What I do do is help people come to, um, a some the performance metrics so in terms of what the what the space should space should deliver um i mean standards are being used more and more um 
on you know the at the entry level they are put in on a tender specification to be paid lip service to because there's nothing in the process and in and in the certification and sign off of a of a system that where you have to validate it that way um but that's but that's really um you know the kind of direction i'm taking my work anyway which is what i think of as being standards 2.0 where you where you're taking the important parts or the relevant parts of standards and using them in a in a critical in a critical way um standards can can be quite intimidating to some people and it's important to keep it simple uh, and, and effective people and anyway, to answer your question people use standards um uh, and it might be just a word they that they wave around and other people really commit to it there's a it's a whole range of it, of experiences but by and large once people realize the benefits of of using them um and the way that it helps to manage an estate of of equipment and to you know effectively to to be able to build a dashboard of of you know which you know which are the red light systems you know to identify the things that you need to to, that are essential to spend the buzz budget on and the other things that are nice to spend the budget on. There are all kinds of ways that they can be used um, to, to, you know, to keep the, the campus, uh, you know, alive and functioning and, and, ma and making sure the money's spent in the best way. Yeah. Like I, I would be hoping that if you were hired at the very beginning, that you're brought in at the very end and going, right, before I sign this off with the AV company, yeah. Can you just can you just overlook this and say that the standards are too too standard? Does that happen? Um, no, I'm not. You know, I don't. It's not. It's not who I am. It's not the kind of gig that I get to act as a as a as a policeman on it. Mm. Um, but what I, what I will say is that the the best projects that I've done have been where I've been involved um, throughout the the whole process. Um, and you know and you stay you stay engaged the the advantage about using a third a third person you know the thing is i mean the, the old cliche about using a consultant is you're you're paying someone to tell you what you already know but mm -hmm. but 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 the i i think using um so, someone a third party um it it's it's there it's there to keep you honest if you like to keep yeah. your to keep you to keep you on track it's very easy for for a team um to take a kind of um to take a, a, a diversion for for reasons of convenience for reasons of budget or 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 just because you kind of lose lose focus so i think um that's the kind of role that i play but i my, my thing is very much about about collaboration because i the you know the 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 times that it works for 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 me and therefore i think for the client too is when you when when you do feel you've got a really good team thing going mm. like you you sort of led me into my next question what has been your favorite projects to work on if you were to name even the top 3 well um I do I do some work for the UK government which um I'm very proud of but I can't talk about um Ooh, top secret I, CIA type <laughs> no it well I mean it's just you know it's just it's I mean you know a lot of the work that you do um is uh is under is under very tight NDA um you know nothing to do with this conversation but you know we did a um we did a um uh, when we had the simulation business we did we did a job for um one of the formula one teams um 
you know, not far away from where we are in uh, in Bedford, in the, in the middle of England. And um, you know, we we were we we weren't really allowed to see what the the rest of the job that we that we that we that we were doing. Um, I think. Um, so anyway, to answer your question, I think the. I think the most the most satisfying consulting I've done has been for um for Google. Um oh, wow. that the um I've worked I've done a few projects with them um around standards, um around meeting room design and about meeting room lighting. Um and um that that was the one I think that was a particular pleasure because I I was really able to do to do what I wanted to do, I was able to write the brief of what I did and and and, and follow it and follow it through. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah, the, that... a lot a lot of their spaces, even if you look at even the, their films that, that they had with Jack Black in it as well, that a lot a lot of their films are open spaces. So you know, um, even the foundry that I've been in a couple of times in 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 Dublin, it's an open space. So, but yeah, their lighting is. It's very specific. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it, it you can't really generalize too much about Google because they've got they've got uh, they've got a wide range of buildings throughout throughout the world with 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 quite a variety of um, of, of lighting. And when I did that project, I was moving. We had tests. We had test spaces in New York, in Mountain View, over in you know in their headquarters on the west coast. Um, and London, there was another location, but um, it was, you know, there, there was, there's a wide variety of, uh, of, of lighting there, but it's, um, yeah, that, that, that was, that was the, the most satisfying project that, that, I, that I did. Um, I've had other projects where people have used the world standard um, and that's, that's very, um, and that was very satisfying because that would be something else that maybe, you know, that would be, a comment that would be made that's relative to you because you were just talking now about how you're in a might be in a teaching space and the, the and the lighting in there is like crucifying the students crucifying the the projection screen and and um you know and, and i find this applies to organizations um you know right from the big tech companies through to um you know through to higher ed the the problem that the prop the structural problem that we have in order to in order to build the 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 next generation teaching spaces the next generation meeting spaces it, it's structural within you know within an organization everything is so completely siloed so um you know the the building services the facilities management that those are the now ones you're hitting that, the, the nail on the head it's, control it's so- control the lighting and you know so basically uh what you know you say okay so let's just think about this so here's this room and you've spent a lot of capital money on putting paying for light fittings which are, are going to kill the display that you're supposed to be teaching with and then you're going to be running a whole bunch of electricity and cost it which is going to cost hundreds of pounds during the academic year specifically to ruin the display um and can you explain that to me? Um, and, but basically, that that is a scenario that is repeated in thousands of rooms across, you know, across um, Ireland and um, you know, and the England and the, and the rest of and the rest of Europe. But it, um, it's, it's it's because it is different departments doing different things. Yeah, like yeah. I've I've seen an absolute priceless one 
Uh, not in my university. I'm on to say that to you. He added uh, hastily. Uh, yeah, I, I have to say. Uh, but I've seen in a certain university in Ireland, in Dublin as well, um, where they decided to put in sensor lights into the room. And whatever way they wired it up, uh, whatever cowboy they got in, it was affecting the audio that the as soon as you walked into the room, it was turning on the lights, but it was also giving the most loudest speaker hum coming out to all the 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 speakers. So literally, you couldn't walk into the room to fix this speaker hum, and that was going on all summer long. And I was thinking, wow, okay. Yeah, that's where two departments have not talked to each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that that that's repeated all over the place. Yeah. Now let's let's move on to now. Well, how how many years have you been? Last question about standards. How many years have you been working with Avixa in doing different standards? Like you're talking about Discus, you're talking about Isker standard, you're talking about the new CTSI and DBooks now that are available from from Avixa. You've you've been involved for quite some time with with writing different questions. You've and done your homework, Mr. Dawson. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been involved with Avixa uh, uh, in that kind of respect since about the early two thousands. And it was pretty funny, really, because um, I I started to I wanted to write a standard of for projected image quality, um, and as a result of that, um, Terry Friesenborg, my friend and mentor, who's now retired, who was then head of education at Infocom as we were then, came over to Denmark uh, for this session that um, that I organised, um, and then. And then uh, asked me to get involved with the Vixer. Um, but at that point, it was best standards, uh, best practices, rather. And there was a, uh, and, and that was the body that was there. And I initially got involved with um, producing a best practice on, on projection and projected images. And they said, oh, you know, one thing you've got to understand, Greg, is that at Infocom, we will never, ever be involved with standards. Wow, so two that's years... going back a long time. You know, well, they've so changed two... now. Yeah, to, so two years later, um, you know, we were a um, ANSI accredited standards development organization, and you know, we were using my projection, um, my projection paper as the as the basis for uh, for for Piscar. So um, yeah, that that one that that particular position didn't last long. Yeah, so I was involved with that from 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 the very beginning. Um, Scott Walker, um, respected U.S. consultant and uh, a friend of mine, he was a president of Infocom a couple of years before me. Um, he he led the first um, steering committee, the first management committee, um, and I was I was on that, and I've just been involved uh, in various ways ever since without a break. Yeah, it's 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 like the mad sound guy Chuck Espinosa does the sound. You do the visuals. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a ba- it's a it's a good combination. Oh, Chuck Chuck is a Chuck is a smart cookie. He's way he's way smarter than me. He's got a much wider knowledge base. I'm I'm a kind of a um I'm a specialist. I'm a bit of a one trick pony, if truth be told. But uh, <laughs> Chuck is a Chuck is a, just an amazing guy and a brilliant communicator. How much did he pay you to say that, Chuck? I don't oh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, he's off. He's off now. Um, he's he's you know doing another thing. But uh, no, he's he, he's an amazing guy. You know. That that that's one of the, the 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 particularly special things about my whole experience with um, Infocom and Avixa. That they are, 
um, they are my most um, they are my most treasured professional um, achievements, if you like, or, or 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 and you know to get the chance to meet and to work with people who are smarter than you, who know more than you. And they're doing, and everyone's doing something for a common good. Um, you know, that's that's about as good as it gets. You know, for me, absolutely no. It, it it must it must bring some some like warmth knowing that like oh I wrote this. You know, and and people are paying attention and people are actually following these standards, especially like you know the the I I, I even see it in Ireland that there's a more intake now. Of people getting their CTS, and then we have one CTSD holder in Ireland that's done the exam, and still to have one CTSI holder, I love to get past that exam, but we'll come back to that at, at a later stage when I have more time. And um, let's let's talk about your project that you're really working on at the moment. Is now I have to ask this question in a light context because I'm a Zoom lover, as as most of our listeners will learn that I don't have shares in Zoom, but I'm I'm a bit of a Zoom lover. Um, but you really concentrate on the MS Teams certifications and going down that route with with visual displays. Why why just Teams? Like, do, or does it overlap with Zoom a lot? It it overlaps completely in in reality. Um... I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a I'm a big fan of Zoom as well. You know, I run webinars as you as, as you've referred, and and I and I run that off the off a pro Zoom platform. Um, so um, you know, I, it, it it it's it's a fantastic it's a fantastic thing, and uh, you know, paradoxically, you know, Microsoft. If you think of them back in the day when Bill Gates was uh, poo pooing the internet and saying he didn't think it was going to get anywhere. And then this little upstart company called Netscape made the um, the Netscape. first browser. Um, and then you know Microsoft promptly squashed it with uh, Internet Explorer, which was was for free. Whereas now, um, if Microsoft are going to be um, even more successful than they are with Teams, then the the catchword there is interoperability. So um, you know I think this thing about having multiple 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 platforms in these spaces is 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 really important no i mean you know as you remember at the beginning of the pandemic um everyone was talking about zoom and they and zoom really had its moment in in the sun um but you know in a way um the 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 the, the thing that made you realize that the pendulum had swung very firmly to the um to the microsoft end of the scale was how much um, teams was talked about on campuses on in higher ed you know that was the that was the the um the, the big thing so i mean you know teams rooms it's a bit like saying um you know hoover for vacuum cleaner or maybe you should say yeah, dyson course. now i suppose um and i think the um you know teams room is teams rooms is very much the campfire around which a lot of these debates happen but it, it but i i think the 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 principles apply and and the things that i talk about on on these linkedin posts that i do especially um just speak to the general principles of doing hybrid you know uh, meeting spaces and teaching spaces very well Microsoft also have been unique in that they're the only um, company who've actually thought about the the 3D space, the design of the of the of the, of the space itself, and that has a massive overlap with what I do and how I work. So there's a kind of a natural engagement there. Yeah. Now let, let's go. Let's delve into it further. You are going into higher ed, telling people 
what makes a good space for Microsoft Teams. And you've been you've been doing that since actually the the pandemic, as as you mentioned. Like I remember your webinars where you're talking about one one that really caught my interest at the time. And I don't think we even got to speak about this at at the last year's LTSMG. You spoke about a camera being placed behind the projection screen. Am I correct? That you could yeah you could yeah so. I know at the moment my my camera is above my monitor, and I know that I'm looking at you directly on the screen in front of me. Yeah. So you know when people look back at this, I'm I'm currently looking at the camera, but it's <coughs> it's something that really um, is distracting um, to people that might watch this YouTube video afterwards. So you you found ways of combating that problem and i think i think even on the webinar and it was ltsmg at home at the time that people went sorry what now you put a camera behind a projection screen explain how this works so um i have to say that uh that that is something that 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 is um has kind of been superseded but it, it it's really very simple because um when we're using projection for hybrid displays we're using um ultra short throw uh, projection so where, where the um where the angle of projection to relative to the screen is is very acute and what that means is that you can cut a cut a small hole in the in the in the screen and the light won't shine through it and you can place a camera a camera behind that and um, you know the the whole the holy grail of uh, or one of the holy grails of, of video conferencing is is the um, is to achieve either actual or apparent eye to eye eye to eye contact. But that 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 is actually um, in practice that 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 I don't think will will run or we've parked it for the time being anyway. I did it as a joint uh, venture with with DNP for the reason now that most people are you know taking small form factor cameras like the Hudley you know the Polys and so forth and and then they're putting them uh you know just there because they're small and you can put them you know in front of the screen and uh, they they can be there and i like it for i mean we're going through a phase of discovery now um but i i like it because it's apparent to anybody who comes in and sits in that space how the thing works um, there's no kind of like thinking, oh, how's this happening? How's that happening? And everything's out there in the open. So it's a very, it's a natural and intuitive way of con of configuring a space. Yeah. Now, I've I've seen all designs of um, of MS Team rooms and Zoom rooms as well. That when you when you get into this hybrid fashion and high flex, especially in higher education, um. A lot of people don't think about, okay, well, we're talking outwards to the cloud and talking to, to people on the other end. But they really never think about, well, bringing everything back into the room and having the right, you know, experience for the people that's sitting in the classroom if they have a guest lecture that's on Zoom or MS Teams. Yeah. And some people say, well, that's the pedagogy of being a good teacher to go, right, I can talk to the outside world and I can talk to the students on the far end and also to the classroom. Um, you probably, you've probably experienced this a lot when you're trying to go out and consult and say, right, well, to, to design a, a Teams room or a Zoom room, I'm, go, I'm gonna put the screens in a certain position. But like, I guess in, in a lot of scenarios, uh, Greg, 
you know, you have strange setups of rooms because you have the architect designing rooms that have windows at the end, the far end of a boardroom. And then it's a long table boardroom and you're trying to get the same audio and visual effects in the room. It's comfortable. So how do you combat it? Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff to unpack from what you what you said there. I mean, um, going at, if you like a bit in reverse order, it's quite paradoxical to me that um, that very often you spend money effectively undoing what the architects uh, yes. give you in a space. <laughs> That's um, the truth. Uh, you know, and, and I think, and I think that um, that thinking about the waste and and, and efficiency. Um, in future building, I think that um, one of the outturns, you know, as this as this hybrid teaching and and meeting, um, you know, space develops, is that people are going to realise that you need actually different shaped and sized rooms. The actual so the actual building will will change, and also um, architects going to have to learn to deliver um help or be part of a team that delivers um technology uh technology enabled spaces um but you know just coming back to to real life and so that you go into a space and you you and you know you've got a column there and a window there and 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 um and you know so to state the blindingly obvious you've got to work with with what you've got and what happens you know effectively when you've got so thinking about the visual side of things, about the display size, the display position, and 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 all those other um, metrics, is that what happens is that you know if you have a if you have a um, a space that's not ideal, you'll find that 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 you you can't make everything be be really neat uh, in terms of, um, of of making the standards work. So what you have to do there. Is, um, is 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 what I call you know establish a hierarchy of needs. You've got to decide you know what are the what are the important things, and then accept that they that they might squash or push out to one side some of the other metrics that that you were there. But you know, but th- that's honestly, um, Justin, that's kind of the the interesting thing about about the gig because you know spaces are different, and um, and you know it's not it it and uh, it's not a cookie cutter um solution yes indeed <laughs> and it never is like yeah. some sometimes when you you see the architects and i've i've seen uh, universities going to tender with the craziest of architectural designs in yeah. a university campus yeah. and you go yeah. how are you ever going to put av into any of those rooms when you yeah. have you yeah. know a glass ceiling and a glass yeah. wall you know yeah. and it's, it's it's more of a glass house than it is of actual walls and you yeah. go, how do you ever put a projection screen into this into yeah this building it's you know and i i think that um you know, any any building that has got a or or, or space that's got a got, got a strong character, um, it it's gonna you know it's gonna have the marmite effect. Some people are gonna really like it, and some people some people aren't. And um, you know, we um, the the most successful higher ed project that we were involved with in the new learning and teaching hub at uh, Glasgow uh, University, there were some really kind of weird and extraordinary um, uh, shapes there. And it was really, really difficult to come up with the um, the standards-based designs uh, for the for the consulting that we did for that job. Um, 
but you know what it was it was a brilliant job and we, we just loved it um it's so it's that, not you, you either have new buildings with new architectural designs or you have really old buildings where you can't touch anything on the walls yeah without, yeah. without being crucified yeah so um that that that's an interesting point you know one I'm trying in various ways to get people to actually uh, run with run with this. Um, but my, my belief that in terms of efficiency is that um, is that in many cases that what what de what defines a finished space that you that gets handed over to us needs that 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 definition needs to be updated um, because um, I think that that you don't need for the room to be absolutely finished because you you can make if you like a um a set a room within a room by just by, by having um a finishing panels that have, have a certain combination of um you know color um light reflection sound reflection um you know you you can you you could do you can do it so much more um efficiently by by actually rethinking what it what it means to have to 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 be handed over a, fi a finished space if you know what i mean yeah <laughs> but i i do like your analogy of like taking apart what the architect has done that's, yeah that's, yeah. that's going to be the quote of the this podcast greg uh, we're both going to ltsmg next week for those yeah. in in that listen into the podcast the learning teaching space management group part of higher ed in av for england ireland and we must not forget malta as well that's in there as well yeah what what what, what exciting things will we have from visual displays i know you're on stage you're going to be giving a, a discussion as well on one of the days yeah dave and uh, a man and i are going to uh, kick the thing off um hopefully with um with a nice uh, nice discussion that what that's going to be fairly free free flowing just talking about latest um things and developments um we you know we are uh, proud to sponsor it again this year um we've sponsored it with the backing of of, of dnp uh dnp are the um the, the the globally predominant makers of ambient light rejecting screen materials and we're really going back to back to basics this year we are co-locating with uh, Epson. We're working very hard with Epson to um, come up with uh, a variety of um, a really high spec uh, ambient light rejecting ALR uh, laser projection displays. And we, we're going to have um, a combination of ultra short throw and direct throw um, uh, screens and examples uh, on the stand. We just really want to show, um, show that um, that, that that show campuses that you know you can achieve a far better result using a better screen and a lower power projector um and um to to you know to achieve really exceptional results so just a fairly simple thing but um really looking forward to it well it's simple but very effective as you say like people don't like i see a lot across not just higher ed but across private firms as well people don't think about it they think there's there's one company that does projection screens and that be it. And we don't need to name that company. You probably see it at ISE all the time. But there is a choice of fabrics that can be used to give a, a better result. And people, I say a lot of AB professionals don't even know that. Yeah, I mean, the... the um... I, you know, unfortunately, the way that the way the projection is traditionally um, specified is completely the wrong way around. Um, 
where you know the the actual the actual process by which you design a projection system is to first of all get the screen size right by using the discast standard to make sure that the people are, the students at the back of the space are going to be able to see and engage with the content and then based on the location where that screen's going to go you choose the type of ALR screen that you're going to be using that kind of material and then using standards based calculators from that you work out what the projector lumens that you that you need um, because it's actually not about brightness per se. It's about the contrast ratio. If you've got really good black levels and really good white levels, then the 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 image will appear plenty bright enough, you know, like like the printed page. And it's just getting people to 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 rethink the way that the way that projection works. There's just decades and decades of people being used to like going, okay, well, that'll maybe be a five thousand image projector and we'll put it on a white screen, blah, blah, blah. But um you know the, you know this with the advent of um, of uh, of hybrid, you know, meeting spaces, teaching spaces, um, with this whole thing around doing uh, Teams rooms, you know, the the old way of doing projection with the with the white screens and the, the and the washed out images, you know, some worse than others. That just that just doesn't cut it, and so that's helping to uh, that's helping to 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 raise the bar. It's the the principles are simple, but you know we. You know, you guys. Well, in 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 the UK, um, you know, they the um, the campuses work with these framework, um, you know, the these framework procurement agreements, and so there's a relatively small number of uh, you know larger integrators who you know sell and install on campus, and we we're working you know very hard to support them, particularly now that we're seeing on these framework agreements that uh, ALR screens are are included with it. Um, but we're we're there we're there to help take a long time to get there greg i can imagine yeah yeah it's always it's it's it's, well i can't can't remember the name of that rule but you know things always take four times as long as you want it to do but um hey i'm patient now if people want to find out more about you greg and visual displays where's the best place to go um well our website is visual displays limited ltd.com um and there's a whole just from the the home page you'll find uh, all kinds of uh, um um directions to to go in um we we're very happy that we've got you know page 1 um uh, google rankings on like 60 or 70 pages uh now on our site we we've, we've got a huge range and breadth of um of 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 content and um yeah the, the website i'm very proud of the website it's the best one we've ever had because it's got a load of free you know free content and that you can download calculators and online calculators and so you know everything everything that i do all my consulting none of it's particularly rocket science i'm very happy to explain the workings and how we do it but we do it that way because we just i just want people to to can see that we that we know how to walk the walk and um you know and then i think that hopefully that will that's the reason why people come to us and actually um um it will give us a couple of quid to 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 buy a screen or to do some consulting or to 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 do some design and Greg will always help you understand the 
Pisgar and the Isgar and the Discus ratios, when you come across them in the CTS book and you go, the what now? Um, Greg <laughs> will break it down into layman's terms. Um, I know Chuck has done a, co- a good few videos in the past with the Vixar, but, but Greg really will, <laughs> will, will teach you the, the old-fashioned Father Ted of near and far away. <laughs> yes. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Greg, it's been great talking to you. Uh, looking forward to next week at LTSMG. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk t- t- more on and, and uh, about your discussion. And, you know, it's always great that higher ed people can go, come together, especially AV professionals, and have a rant about teens that yeah, work. Yeah, so, yeah, so listen, Justin, that was, that was a real honour for you to ask me onto this. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to raising a glass with you next week. Thank you for tuning in to All Things Techie Podcast, part of the Extreme Media Network. Follow us on Twitter at AV Tech Junkies. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch our show on YouTube by visiting youtube.com forward slash at Justin underscore or underscore Dawson. Previous episodes of our show can be found on our official site, www.allthingstech.ie. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie.